Welcome to Tigers SRD with two hosts who always start on second. Chris Brown. Never-ending parade of mediocrity. And Roger Castillo. Oh, Roger, you live in Detroit. Da, 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 da. So we're glad to bring on a guest. And Alexis, make sure I'm, I'm hopefully I'm saying your last name correctly. Is it Bruniki? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So it's a it's a it's a <laughs> It's an ooh rather than an uh. So uh I would have said like yes, it? no matter what you oh, okay. uh, said, truly. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, our our family is not we're not sticklers. I think we all say it differently every once in a while. So uh, I'm good. I'm good with that. We we go Brudnicky. We go Brudnicky. Whatever it is, we're good. All right, awesome. yeah, either way, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, um, I'm sorry that your your Thursday night plans fell through. <laughs> <laughs> at least that's okay out, out with us um so yeah i don't know uh were you just i, I guess official term for baseball america you were a feature writer or just a reporter uh yeah contributing writer i contributing think is the writer. official yeah so yeah i mean i i uh i listened to you on the baseball america podcast i think it was a draft preview podcast a couple weeks ago or maybe just a couple days ago and then i read some of your work and i thought it was great and i'm happy that you were able to join us and we're going to get to talking about some of the Tigers draft picks that you wrote profiles on. And there was, uh, you told me there was a third one. I didn't even realize the Austin Schultz kid from Kentucky. Oh, so could, I, yeah. Yeah. We could chat about that. <laughs> but before we do that, we always like to ask our, our guests, our first time guests about their earliest baseball memory. So if there's something uh, that sticks out to you, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. I mean, I remember, uh, I guess playing when I was a kid and I, my earliest memory for sure, I'm sure there's other ones that have kind of been conflated, but um i remember i was just i was very small and i played on boys teams and the boys were very much bigger than i was um and i remember one day um just like going kind of to to warm up like i was probably 10 years old and i was going to warm up and you know we didn't we didn't have like a on deck circle or anything like that and not seeing that there was like a huge kid who was kind of doing the same thing behind me and on his backswing, he just like took me out. He hit me. I was wearing a helmet. I was ready to hit next, but he just took me out. My mom was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> like, we got to reevaluate. We got to go home. Um, that is my, like, my earliest memory, though. When you said that, I was like, oh, no, this is what it is. I don't, I, there is no other earliest memory. That's what it is. <laughs> no, but that's good. Like, but you stayed with baseball after that? Did oh, you yeah. Stay? So, yeah. I shows. did. Eventually, my, my mom uh, was like, you know, there's this other thing, softball might be an option for you. Maybe you should think about it. And we ended up going that direction uh, for a while. But yeah, it was, um, I, I mean, I love baseball. I love playing it even despite the injuries I sustained. Um, it was a great time. I loved doing it. That's uh, 81. That reminds me, I, I think I probably told this story on the podcast before, but I was I was doing Little League and I was pitching and we were warming up and there was another kid warming up perpendicular to me. <laughs> and so the coach was catching him and in my head i'm like oh man don't lose this pitch don't hit him don't hit him first thing i did hit him right in the head like, oh god broke his glasses yeah i felt awful that sounds like a far side comic there chris <laughs> well it wasn't, it wasn't great you know? but uh, but yeah we wanted to uh we definitely wanted to talk to you about uh, jackson job because you wrote uh, a, a great profile on him and of course the tigers took him third overall uh, i think Kind of the consternation of a lot of Tigers fans, but 
I, you know, I, you got a, a unique perspective uh, talking to him. So I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on Jackson Job. Yeah, I mean, I was pumped about the pick. Uh, I'm a huge uh, fan of Jackson Job. Um, his play, speaking to him this season, has really kind of turned me into a, a Jackson Job fan. Even I think I said on the Baseball America podcast, like. I, I don't know necessarily that I, if I had the number one pick, I would have taken him number one, but he was my favorite guy mm -hmm. um, at the top of the draft. So, I mean, to me, those are two separate things. Like I'm, I can say that cause I'm not in a decision-making position, mm -hmm. um, but he was my, he was definitely my favorite guy, obviously high school pitchers, high risk, high reward. Um, but there is that risk there and, and there's no way to avoid that. But I mean, knowing that I think he's such an exciting player. Um, I've actually, I've talked to him a couple of times. I talked to him recently as well. Um, there will be another story coming out at baseball America on him next week. Um, and I've gotten to talk to his coach, Jordan Seymour at heritage hall. And I think there's just like, there's no limit to the excitement there. Um, for me, I know when I first talked to him a couple months ago, he was like up to 96. And then this time Jordan told me he was up to 99. I mean, I haven't seen that myself. I can't vouch for that, but, um, I mean, I'll take it. I'll quote him on it. Um, it's, it makes it, it sounds really great. And then I think everyone, everyone who's even looked up his name or knows anything about him knows about the slider. The slider is the number one tool. It's, it is you know incredible and um it has like over 3000 rpm it's lance uh mccullers jr came calling for it he saw it after pg national posted a video of it last year and was like i want it i want that grip tell me what that grip is and they had an exchange um and they share um they share Jackson's advisor and Lance McCullers Jr.'s agent. Mm -hmm. So I think um, as Jackson moves forward, they will be able to have more conversations uh, through that relationship as well. But I mean, he also, I mean, and then you can't forget, he has a curveball and a changeup that nobody even talks about that to go with it. And the command is there. The command has been there the whole time. Um, there's just nothing that like doesn't excite me about this player. And it's funny. I did, I was reading some kind of tiger stories before I came on before this. And I saw somebody wrote like, you know, people were upset because they thought the tigers were really in on these shortstops. All the, I know there were some amazing shortstops at the top of the board, but it's funny because Jackson literally up until his season ended with a state championship was a shortstop. He's also a shortstop. Like that never ended for him. Mm -hmm. And up until last year, that is what he primarily was. So, um, I don't know if, you know, if the pandemic is completely to thank for this. I know Jordan Seymour's coach saw the pitching potential when he first saw him throw a bullpen. So I think it would have eventually happened. Um, but I also think there's so much more in the tank because this guy was a shortstop till, till, I mean, he, till a couple weeks ago, really. Um, but truly was like, had his focus split between the two until, till last year. So um he has a lot of room for improvement a lot of room for development and he's obviously coachable he's obviously teachable he has the ability to learn adapt get better already so um i don't there's nothing about it that doesn't excite me i know i'm like going overboard people are like this is probably this is too much but i i'm super excited for it and the the, the thing i that i wanted to bring up about the you speaking to the fans it's kind of the thing where on draft night and I even I know one of your colleagues too said something about like the Tigers did well with this draft and, they, and it was great one of the 
that are drafted by Baseball America. So it, it, the question becomes in terms of, well, this is going to be a guy that's five or six years down the road and da, 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 da. And then they bring up the whole Tommy John thing, which is rather ridiculous. Uh, the, the thing is, my, my question to you is in terms of you, you, Max, I know Meyer was the other one that was considered and he Boston scooped him up pretty quickly. You look at his potential, look at his ability to, you know, his father was a pro golfer. So did that also have an influence on him in terms of having a, a person who's a professional athlete in your family I know that sometimes that might be considered uh, kind of overrated, but I, I thought maybe perhaps it would help them become more mature athlete. Oh, I think it has to teach you something. It has to help somewhere. Obviously, I mean, maybe it's not obvious, but I can't speak to that. My parents are definitely not professional athletes. Uh, we don't have one in the bloodline anywhere, I'm pretty sure. Um, and if, I mean, if you ever saw me do anything, you'd know. But uh, I, I think it, it, it has to make a difference. Like, I don't see how it possibly could not, whether it's just the demeanor, the understanding of professionalism when it comes to sports, too, because I, sports can be very excitable. Sports at the high school level are very different than they are at the college level, at the professional level. And I think being able to see that, I mean, he told me, you know, he's he's gotten to meet, you know, Tiger Woods. He's gotten to meet all these guys on the tour. His dad is still golfing. Um, he also is like a pretty solid golfer. He's like, yeah, if this doesn't work out, like I, I can pick it up. Um, so, I mean, whether it's, you know, maybe it's confidence that you pick up from that. Maybe it's an understanding of failure that you get from that. I definitely think there are factors that you get from that. Um, I, de- I didn't, we, we did talk about his dad a bit. We talked about golf. We talked about, uh, the first time he told me his dad loved watching him hit. And so the second time I talked to him, I was like, what's your dad going to do now? But, um, but I don't always love to kind of focus in when I am talking to these guys, I don't, I don't love to focus in on, on, you know, their famous relatives. Cause this is about them. So I didn't go too deep into it to get his insight into that, but I don't see how that doesn't change a person, how that doesn't help them understand the road ahead and how to deal with it. So, um, yeah, I think that's a definite uh, plus. I know we talked about it on, I think uh, Carlos Colazzo talked about it on the Baseball America podcast a little bit. You know, we had a bunch of guys at the top of the board with with dads who are pro, who were professional athletes, obviously Jack Leiter, Al Leiter's son, uh, Kumar Rocker, son of an NFL player. Um, I mean, yeah, there's no way that you don't glean something from that along the way. And I – I have every confidence that it's going to be something positive that you glean. No, you I mean you made some good points there. I remember we we interviewed uh, Cody Clements, Roger Clements' son. He's a he's a second baseman in the Tiger system, and and you you like you, you really want to find out like, hey, what was it like growing up with <laughs> this famous athlete for a dad? But you don't want to focus on it too much, like you said, because it's 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 you know their career now. But yeah, it with Cody, you could tell it absolutely made a difference to have a dad who he could bounce ideas off of, and and I even th- heard. Uh, Cody Stavenhagen, a different Cody, I think on his podcast was talking about uh, kind of the, the strange similarities between being a professional golfer and being a pitcher in that you're you're always trying to set up the next move, but you know, you hit the, the shot, you, you want to put it in a specific spot so that you can make the next move and, and how that might help with his mindset. And I could, yeah, I could totally see that. And I think, like you said, I think uh, Job is like a scratch golfer. So <laughs> yeah, I yeah, he's um he made it sound super easy, but 
I mean, you love to hear it. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, I'm like, okay, cool. Like if you could just spread out some of the talent that you have, like among (laughs) some other people, instead of taking it all for yourself, like maybe the rest of us could actually, I don't know, do something well, like even mow our lawns well, like just spread it around a little bit. Let's go. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, we didn't even mention he was a football player. He was a quarterback and a a defensive back, I think. Yeah, so, you know. Yeah, quarterback and safety. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like these guys are good at everything. There's nothing that they're not good at. It does get, you know, a little annoying sometimes. You're like, okay, cool. So you're better at everything than <laughs> than I ever could be at one thing. So that's fun to talk about. Let's just move on. <laughs> He's not writing draft profiles. I'll tell you that much. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> what? I, I'm just curious. Did you talk to him uh, at all about the process of of heading into this draft, about being, you know, I guess being recruited and then being scouted and things like that? Did you touch on that at all with him? Yeah, yeah. We talked. Uh, we talked more recently, kind of about the the hype, the attention. He started getting it um, at at the national events last year, so he had a glimpse of it. And so then he, what he told me is that it did kind of like put the pressure on a little bit to perform this spring. Everybody got super, everybody saw him last summer. Everybody got super excited last summer. And they were like, okay, this guy's an arm. He needs to pitch. He needs to keep doing this. And he understood that messaging, but he was like, okay, I got to do it. And um, so for him, I think, all of that came to fruition. He literally did do it. He did everything that was asked of him and more. He came out, he performed. Uh, I mean, his team won a state championship. He, his coach said he found another gear at regionals, which he didn't even know existed. And uh, I mean, he, he lived up to it, but for him, he knew the pressure was on. He said, you know, I, I wouldn't call it like a chip on my shoulder, but I would say that it drove me and motivated me. It helped me. It pushed me. So for him, I mean, everybody kind of like needs those, I think, motivating factors where, where, as he put it, like, if you don't want to get up in the morning at 6 a.m. and do your workout, you have to remember somebody else is not saying no to that. Somebody else is doing that. And I think for him, like, that's what drove him. And that's what led him to where he is. Hopefully it just keeps keeps driving him along the way. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think in your piece, you mentioned that, that like, he knew that he had to either develop or start using his change up more. And yeah. So he did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. it's hard for high school players who are really good and can literally <laughs> probably get away with only their fastball to yeah. want to mix in the change up because when your fastball is upper nineties, your change up is going to look more like a regular fastball to those guys. They might actually tee off on it, even if it's good because it's more in their velo range. Yep. So <laughs> it's hard for high school players to, want to do that to need to do that um it's uh, but i mean yeah scouts wanted to see it it's it is it's always going to be tough for those guys for those draft prospects because the changeup is going to be more like a pitch in everybody else's wheelhouse when they are that far ahead of the game so um i mean he did it he mixed it in he knew he needed to show it to scouts he knew that was part of it um and he did everything that was asked of him so it was it worked out <laughs> Yeah, yeah you're right. I, I umpire on the high school level, and I can tell you that's how it is. If you're a really good pitcher, if you throw a changeup, you're just giving those other batters a chance. 
you know. <laughs> so, uh, it's usually, correct me if I'm wrong, you per and, and same thing, Alexis, for all the, the games you've watched. Usually in high school, it's usually you're predominantly two pitch until you get into college. If you pursue a college career, that's where you kind of work on your third pitch, correct? Yeah, I mean, I would say most of these guys, especially I think if they're at his level, they are trying to show a little more than that. I mean, you don't want to be the guy who scouts are like, oh, he's only a reliever because he only has two pitches or I mean, I, I, it depends what level I think you're at. But regular high school players who are going to be regular high school players. Um, yeah, I do think that, that that is probably where you're at. You only need a couple of pitches to get by, even if you're really good. Like, that's that's what's going to help you find success. Alexis, you talk to a lot of young guys like this, 18, 19-year-old ballplayers. Uh, he's had all this success thrown at him. He's going to have seven figures thrown at him here. He's talking, like you said, to Tiger Woods. He's having professional pitchers call him for tips. Uh, Peter has <laughs> kind of alluded that other players, other professionals have called him as well. Is he, is that going to get to him? Is he still a normal kid in your opinion when you talk to him? Did he, you know, uh, maturity wise? Yeah. I mean, so far, um, I obviously, I don't know. I don't know how far, how far that can take people. Obviously we've, you know, power affects people in different ways. Um, I don't think any kind of signing bonus is going to affect him in a big different way. Like his dad is a professional golfer who's made some money, but um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's no way to predict how power is going to affect people. Um, And he's, he's going to have some power, obviously. I, I think also though, it gets a little, like we're talking about the third overall pick it's super exciting top pick but like this is a guy who's I don't know gonna go to a complex league or maybe low a like then you kind of you're off your pedestal a little bit for a little while so um obviously I think you know you can be you can be brought up a peg you can be knocked down a peg um but in every conversation I've had with him yeah I mean he's he is definitely just he's a super intelligent, very mature, um, teenager. Uh, the conversations I've had with him were great. Like I, I wanted to do the story that we have coming out next week when we knew it was going to be him. I was like, he's, he's my guy. I got to do this. Can I call him? I love talking to him. I love talking to his coach. I loved how excited they were, how passionate they are about the game. Um, the way that they kind of I, like walked me through all the tools, everything we talked about. So yeah. I mean, I can't speak for the future, but for now, for sure, that's where he's at. Thanks. So we, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, obviously we're going to be kind of hyper-focused on the number three overall pick, but, uh, but when I was talking to you about this, I said, Hey, maybe the Tigers will, will take a Canadian (laughs) because I don't know you terribly well, but you seem like a proud Canadian. Um, (laughs) Very proud. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what part of Canada are you from? I'm from London, Ontario, Canada. It is oh, halfway okay. between Detroit and Toronto. So, yep, I had a soccer tournament up there once. Yeah, she's equidistant from from both ballparks. Uh, was it the <laughs> the London Tigers? Um, yeah, the Double A t- team for the Tigers I mean, I were here in the early '90s. Yeah, there's a there's a website they're selling the hats now. They're recreating them, and I'm so stoked for that because I collect a bunch of minor league hats. And the London Knights were actually one of my favorite OHL teams because they had a sweet logo. That was the only reason why I liked them because they had the, I don't know, <laughs> night, but anyway, I, I did that. But, um, 
but but yeah, so the, the Tigers eventually did. They ended up taking a Canadian kid uh, by the name of Jordan Marks, who is actually from outside of Sarnia, which is one of the two cities, two Canadian cities that Michiganders would know, even if they're super, uh, you know, egocentric or, or Michigan-centric. Uh, so yeah, it, and he's a cool story too. And you wrote a, a feature on him. So I don't know what, if you want to share what you learned from him or about him, I should say. Yeah, I mean, Jordan is from from Brights Grove, Ontario, obviously even smaller place. Um, and yes, close, close to the border. Um, I, I can't speak to his fandom, whether he grew up a fan of the closest team to him, which would have been the Tigers or not. But it's super exciting, obviously, for any guy who's from there. I know, like, I'm sure Jacob Robson has talked about it a lot being in the Tigers system. Um, but yeah, Jordan Marks is just kind of, he's been that workhorse. He's been such a consistent pitcher since high school. Like he's been this guy and he ha kind of has been constantly a little bit overlooked. So for him, you know, he went to, uh, he, he wasn't on the Canadian junior national team. He went to a smaller school in USC upstate. He, he went to a losing program. That program when he arrived had not won since 2012. Mm. Um, and I mean, him and his teammates, the combination of, of that, the recruit, recruit, recruiting class, if I can get it in there, um, they, they made the difference. And I mean, they, he obviously was a leader on that staff. I mean, this year, he was pretty unbelievable. He was racking up the strikeouts. He barely walks anybody. Um, he, which I mean, that's my favorite kind of pitcher. I gotta say, <laughs> yeah. um, I love to see the walks limited and he's always kind of been that command guy, but also the fastball was up. I mean, I know I wrote it and people say like fastball was up to 98. And I was like, Jordan, like 98. And he was like, okay, so I hit it once on opening day. The adrenaline was there, <laughs> but I mean, he's, it's in there, right? It's in the tank. It's that's <laughs> what he's capable of. So, I mean, I don't think you'll see like a more dedicated workhorse. A guy, he literally, the, the program that is based out of London, Ontario, I used to work for the amateur program called the Great Lake Canadians. Jordan played for Great Lake and at our inaugural banquet, he won the inaugural um, Great Lake Canadians Commitment Award for literally everything he embodies. Like they were like, we could have named this Jordan Marks Award. This is a guy who's gonna work He's going to be a leader. He's going to show other people, you know, how to get things done. And he's going to do it quietly with his head down. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but I'm saying it's a way that's really worked for him. And it's a way that's going to continue to work for him. So, um, yeah, I'm super, super excited to see what he can, what he can do. Um, I think the breaking stuff has gotten better at college. Um, obviously the fastball velo is up there. Um, but the command is still there, which is going to be always like his bread and butter and what he needs to succeed and what he's been successful with. Yeah, you know, I first heard about him. I think somebody mentioned him in a fan graphs chat, I think after like week two of the college season, because he had had two really good starts. And I'm like, oh, who's this guy? Like, oh, all right, well, this is fun. And then I just kind of, you know, I followed along and all right, he's the guy who throws tons of strikes. And, and you hear about that. You, you mentioned it. Like this is, he's got terrific command and that's the sort of thing that, that we've seen teams like Cleveland they've taken these kids with great command and they've added velocity in the, in pro ball and suddenly you know they're winning Cy Youngs and stuff and you're not saying that Jordan Mark's going to be a Cy Young winner or whatever 
But what I would love to about, say that. You can say that. I'll say that. <laughs> well, what you're saying about his 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 work ethic and and uh, that's all very encouraging. And if the command's there, then yeah, I'm I'm excited about that kid. And to get him in eighth round, I think that's a pretty good uh, spot for the Tigers. Yeah, we had a big. I don't want to say argument, but conversation through our Baseball America social channels about what is easier to develop at the later levels. Is it commander? Is it velocity? And I mean, I think we have, it was very split. So I can't say I think we have determined, but obviously we've seen, even with just like kind of the driveline program, the weighted ball programs, we've seen guys' velocities continue to creep up and up and up and up. I don't really think, Obviously, you'll see which way I leaned in these polls, but I don't really think we see command creeping up and up and up the same way that we see Velo creeping up. So, um, I mean, a guy coming in with command, I mean, that's that's what you want. That's what I want. That's what I would look for. That's what I love. I mean, Job and Mark, both of these guys have the command. It's there. That's exciting for, for me. I know that sounds like a lame thing to be excited about, but I love the command. <laughs> No, I mean, we. there's a picture of Alex Lane for the Tigers, by the way. his velo- He went to the driveline program. His velocity increased. He became a guy that the Tigers were going to put in the bullpen. But his command, it's lack of command. I mean, if you throw a looping curveball over, it's going to get smacked around. And you can throw it at 97, 98. That's cool and all. But if you don't have command, I think command is such a key thing that often people get caught up in the numbers of how somebody's throwing so fast. But if it's not, if you don't have the proper sequencing, I think that in getting get your command over, I think that it just makes a world of difference. And to have it at a, a younger age, I would think that instilling that at a younger age would help you in the long run. Yeah. And for me, I mean, I still separate out control and command too. Um, I, I think command is a, is a level above control. For me, control is throwing the ball in the strike zone and command is hitting your spots. So for me, I'm not just talking about these guys throwing strikes. I'm talking about them hitting the spots and throwing to the glove where the glove is. And I I think it's such an important trait. I think it's so important at every level. I definitely think it is something that um, that the focus should maybe be on a little more, but it is in a lot of programs too. And it is hard. I get it when you're, you know, when you're young, when you're learning, when you're developing, but um, when you see it, you absolutely love to see it. <laughs> well, and there's, there's a, there's going to be a comparison here that, that I think will be fascinating to watch their pro careers go along. It's another Canadian and it's kind yes, of like the, the ideal, in. the ideal uh, yin and yang here. So you got Jordan Marks who's throwing strikes, and then you got Eric Sarantola, who the Tigers okay. didn't draft. Who's I? He's got a legitimately, possibly the best arm talent in the entire draft. A guy who throws upper nineties, got a ridiculous curveball, but couldn't get on the field this year because Mississippi State was trying to win, and they couldn't trust him to throw strikes. And so now we're going to see. We're going to follow these guys' pro careers and see what happens. It's going to be fascinating yeah, so- to me. <laughs> It is even more fascinating because both of these guys are graduates of that Great Lake Canadians program that I was talking about. And I brought this up on another on another podcast because these are it is literally like two guys, you know, starting in the same spot. Um, I, I would say Eric Sarantola had better stuff coming out of high school. He was throwing 96 um, out of high school. And uh, and I got so I got to see him up close a lot, um, not at Mississippi State, but in, in those younger years with the junior national team in high school with the Great Lake Canadians. Um, very familiar with these guys. So 
I, I also kind of made this, this kind of comparison, juxtaposition, whatever you want to call it. But these guys started in the same spot. They were both Great Lake Canadians. Eric got the attention. He was on the junior national team. He was throwing 96. Jordan didn't so much get the same attention. He wasn't on the junior national team. Eric went to the big school that needed to win. Jordan went to the small school that wasn't winning for many years. Jordan got an opportunity to pitch. He pitched himself into the rotation. He stayed there. He became the Friday night guy. Eric got a chance to be the Friday night guy. He turned into the Sunday guy. He turned into the midweek guy. He turned into the guy who didn't get a chance to be on that College World Series roster. And it is hard. It's hard to watch because I, I want to see success for both of these guys. I want to see I want to see that happen. But you also understand for Eric, he's at a school that needs to win and they need to win now. And it isn't even necessarily that he didn't have what they needed. He just didn't have it at the time that they needed it. And it was honestly really unfortunate to watch play out. And um, as someone who I feel like I, you know, I have a bit of an investment in him and his family and it is not fun. It is not fun for them to experience and it's not fun to watch. Um, and I do think that this is a great opportunity for Eric, obviously getting drafted. Now you head into a system where winning really, I mean, you hate to say it, but winning doesn't matter. It's about development. You're not there to win. You're about to, you're trying to develop and he's really going to get a chance. He's not going to throw 13 innings and then somebody say, we're not going to see you for the rest of the year, head home, go to the combine, do whatever you want. He's going to get a real chance. And I think that's what he really needs. And I think also it can be a confidence game for a lot of guys. It can be a confidence game. I don't know that that's what it was for Jordan. I don't know that that's what it was for Eric, but I can see very easily how that could play out for Eric if your confidence is down and then you have another bad outing and then it continues to go down and then that affects the next outing and the next and the next and you don't get a chance. So in Pro Bowl, you're going to get that chance. You can build that confidence back up. You can start layering those bricks of confidence one by one. I hope, I don't know if that's what it is for him. He just needs a chance though. He needs more time. He needs that development and he will get that. So I'm super excited for that, but I also have made that kind of comparison juxtaposition before because they did come from literally the exact same place. The same program took the two complete opposite paths. And now we get to see now they're landed in kind of similar spots. So we get to see what happens and how that plays out. Yeah. Both in the AL central, I believe. So that's, that's cool. I didn't, I, I had no idea that they got their start in the same area. So that's a, a fun aspect of that. Um, and the guys love it when I mention the program. So I will say it again, Great Lake, Can Great Lake Canadians. They're, it's like, it's like, they're still paying me, but it's, I think it's, it's but it is, you brought it up. I didn't even tell no, you. Yeah. So that was amazing. I love it. Well, there were, there were other fun Canadians in here. I think, uh, you know, we did a, a mock draft at our site, Motor City Bengals. And I took Sarantola, I think in the fourth round and you took Denzel Clark. Oh, who nice. I believe is Canadian. And then, uh, yes, he is. and I don't know where I first heard it, but, uh, you know, I've got a seven-year-old son. And then I, I saw that uh, Elijah Hamill, I think I, I, it must have been a different podcast, uh, used to be the voice of, of Ryder on yes. Paw Patrol. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. well, that's amazing. 
I want this kid. And I don't think he got drafted because he was, he did not. But he's going to go to Utah, I think, right? So yes, yeah, he'll get an opportunity there. Gary Henderson is now going to be the head coach there. Gary Henderson loves Canadians. He had a bunch of Canadians at Kentucky. Um, so I mean, Elijah will get a, a chance there, um, and that's what he needs. He's young. He's seventeen. It'll be mm-hmm. good for him. He was he was a draft prospect. He was the youngest player, the youngest position player in the draft league, um, which is tough. Like, and his his numbers I think reflected that a little bit, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be good. And yes, Paw Patrol. That was <laughs> he came from Paw Patrol. And also, yeah, Denzel Clark, super exciting player. Um, excited to see how that plays out. Um, I think I both might the last time I saw Denzel and Eric Saratola play in person might have been um at the 2017. Actually, that's not true for Eric, but I saw both of them play at the 2017 World Junior Championship in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Uh, we had the World Junior Championship in Canada, which was amazing. Kumar Rocker was actually also on that team, on the Team USA as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what these guys can do now. And uh, it was honestly, it was a great draft class for Canada. I underestimated the number of Canadians that would get taken. And these guys, now that it is only 20 rounds, uh, which I know isn't ideal for everyone, but it really gives them a chance, an opportunity. Um, a lot of the Canadians who have been taken in the past uh when you get to adding up the numbers you know if there's 40 rounds you get a bunch of canadians in the 30th to 40th round so mm-hmm. these guys are going to legitimately get a chance all 16 of them uh there was another player who's canadian born but they're this is legitimate we're going to get to see what these guys can do especially now with the minor league uh rosters limited to 180 total players in each organization these guys literally had to be better than someone in the organization to take a spot in the organization to, if, you know, assuming they're going to, going to sign, but I do assume that these players are going to sign. So I think it's super exciting. I'm really, really pumped for, for the draft class, for the Canadian draft class, for those guys. It's, uh, I mean, I'm fired up. (laughs) I mean, there's uh, one of my favorite picks was Denzel Clark. Overall, they 17 were drafted and, on the junior st- baseball stage too, we've seen Canada just they beat out Cuba, which has been they've gone back and forth. Uh, I I follow the, the scene there, and before we get to the other pick, I mean, in terms of that baseball, in terms of what they've been able to do on the national side of things, it seems like every year, little by little, Canada seems to make improvements, especially taking on teams like Cuba, who have been traditional powers. Can you talk a little bit about what they're doing in terms of just getting it? Just the, the programs alone, or are they increasing? What people play more baseball what is what's going on over there that's causing it's it's a good change because it's always been the same three or four teams and the see canada in the mix there is nice yeah i mean i will say like all these guys are multi-sport athletes too um which i mean obviously i think in detroit it, it like it's the exact same you have to be like you don't have the seasons so you play what is happening in your season um but I do think it's just they the programs are expanding. People are giving baseball more of a chance. And because the programs are expanding, they're getting better. And because they're getting better and they're expanding, they're having more competition in their own country as well. Even this program, the Great Lake Canadians program, these guys are going to laugh so much at me saying this again. But even this program was only it only started in 2013. It was started by a couple of big leaguers who came back to London. They're from the London area and they wanted to build something better than they had 
for them when they were the ones at this age and at this level. So you have all these guys, other guys as well in other areas, but London is just where I'm from. But you have guys doing this in the Toronto area and Ottawa and other places coming back home, building these programs, trying to give the kids who are younger, the next generation of players, a better opportunity than they had. And they are really finding success at that. So this program has only existed for eight years. And this year they had four players drafted. So it's pretty, and, and out of 16 Canadian players, like it is a pretty unbelievable opportunity now that you can see if you're a parent for your child to play in Canada, if you're a player to understand, maybe I don't have to play every tournament in the States, which is totally entirely different this year because of pandemic protocols. But on a regular year and a regular season, you can understand that you can keep your talent here. You can have a chance at the Canadian junior national team. Scouts are invested in that Canadian junior national team as well. Scouts through that program are also getting to know these other programs. Um, A lot of, I mean, the Canadian scouts know what's going on. Obviously they know their area, but um, I think it is really continuing to put itself on the map and solidify itself on the map. I won't say it wasn't on the map before. I mean, in 2002 was the best draft class Canada ever had. And now we're in 2021. But I think it is just, it is still just all of that coming to fruition. I mean, some of those guys who are drafted in that class are now the ones coming back and developing these programs. And players are getting a chance to stay at home. The Canadian Junior National Team now has five trips a year on a regular year, not this year. Um, and there are just so many opportunities and real good, solid opportunities for these players. And, I mean, you love to see it. I think it'll only get better. Very, very cool. Yeah, I mean uh... – I, I I don't know as a Michigan somebody who lives in Michigan. There's always like this kind of you feel a little bit of a bond with Canada. Uh, I mean, it, not so much when the Blue Jays come to town and they fill the stands, <laughs> but but uh, no. So it, like we're always excited to see Canadians do well too. Um, and and we wanted to just touch on the one other player. I didn't actually read this profile. Uh, Yoop, did you read the profile of Austin Schultz? Just I I brief, oh. briefly went through it. Okay, so I don't know. I just didn't know if you had uh, specific questions to ask. But if you have, have uh, you know, that was their Tigers' tenth rounder, Austin Schultz, a uh, second baseman slash outfielder from Kentucky. Uh, if you want to share your thoughts on him, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, he and I, we we delved into his tools, so those can definitely be found in the story um, on Baseball America. I'm sure I tweeted it when he was drafted, also. Um, but what we really like dove deep into is kind of the mental side of the game. Um, he had a lot to say. He is really kind of focused on that. Like he's read books on the mental side of the game. He's talked to mental coaches. Um, he, he understands how huge of an asset that is. I I think in the headline of the story, they called it like the sixth tool. Um, and, uh, I just, I think it is so fascinating to, I mean, I think For me, the sixth tool is always going to be a level of self-awareness. But for a guy who understands how much, how important that mental game is, I do think that is a a sense of self-awareness. So um, I always, I mean, I'm going to always like root for those guys. I think that they are, I think they tend to be the most successful. Like if you're, I'm going to bring it back to like Jacob Robson. If you're going to look at a guy like Jacob Robson, you're going to be like, hey man, you better start hitting a bunch of homers. And he doesn't have that level of self-awareness to be like, that's not my game. I got to stick to my game in order to be successful. I think you fall, you, you know, you 
you can fall by the wayside. You can fall into a spiral of lacking that confidence. Or I think that the the self-awareness is, is definitely the huge tool. But for Austin Schultz, we talked a lot just about the mental game and how important that is and how easy it is to, to, to spiral into those down moments in a game of failure and what you need to do. So, um, you know, obviously I'm rooting for him. I think he, he kind of, he does have whatever you consider that extra tool to be. Um, but yeah, he also, he broke down all of his tools for me. So that wasn't even me. That was him doing it in that, in that profile at baseball America. So happy to send people that way too. Yeah, you know, Alexis, uh, this is all very uh, great stuff. I, I, it's very obvious, uh, but your passion for baseball and, and your intelligence here and, and your ability to talk about this stuff. Uh, but this is kind of bittersweet for us. I mean, this is, I, I enjoy having you on. I feel bad that we didn't have you on before, but but you are leaving the world of baseball to go to law school, I think it was? Yes, or, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I had to figure something out. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know how much you want to go into that and talk about that, but I, I, you know, I feel it's interesting and something worthy of talking about for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, baseball has been a tough slog for me. I've been um, in the game, in the professional game, for eleven years now, um, but it took me nine years to even get a full time position in the first place. Um, I did battle some, uh, I guess, like foreign issues, being Canadian, not being able to secure a visa, to work for American teams, mm -hmm. also not having money. I don't come from money, so I couldn't take, the, the only opportunities I could take outside of my country without someone needing to sponsor me would have been opportunities I would have had to take for free, um, and I couldn't afford to do that. So, um, I was limited and I, I created my own opportunities where there were none, but I, yeah, I didn't have a full-time job in the industry for nine years. And after nine years um, and nine years that also included, you know, piecing together all that work so that I could live plus going to scout school, plus getting a master's degree in assessment and evaluation, focusing on scouting. Um, even when I got that full-time job, it was still an entry level position. So um, to say it's been tough is kind of, uh, is kind of minimizing it. Um, it's been really hard. And I think obviously everyone has seen the headlines all throughout this entire calendar year as well of what uh, women have faced, what women have come forward to talk about, um, what women have shared. And I, I, I cannot say that I am any stranger to those experiences either. Um, I will say that, you know, it has worn me down over time um, and it has become increasingly difficult, not only, you know, not being able to, to make enough money in the sport that I love so much to even pay back the education that I, that I had to get in order to move forward. Um, mm. But even seeing those stories when the first one um, in January, the Jared Porter story came out, you know, I, I couldn't sleep. I started having insomnia and I didn't even know why. And I talked to my therapist and I was like, I, I cannot sleep. I need something. And, uh, and she was like, well, maybe you should, you know, make a list of the things that you've experienced uh, just to write them down to get them out of your head. I will say it did not have the intended effect, um, but it was it it was unbelievable to me just like how many things had happened over time. And then the next story comes out about 
Mickey Calloway and I was like, oh shit, somebody sent me, sorry, I swore. Um, you know, somebody sent me text messages that were kind of, uh, kind of like those ones. And I hadn't even included them on the list that I wrote out for the therapist. Like I had forgot, I had bla blocked that out of my mind. Um, and I think there are just a lot of little things that even that I've perpetuated myself, even when, you know, you go to the field and sometimes a group of a group of men, a group of scouts, a group of whoever it might be. Um, it is, it was, it used to be, I hope in the past, uh, a common game to use the 20 to 80 scouting scale to rank the girls in the stands. And there have been times I've been around that and I haven't stopped it. Number one, I haven't, I didn't stop it. Number two, there were times when I contributed because I felt like that made me more one of the crowd. And I mean, that's just one example. There's been other ways where, where I haven't come forward about stuff or why I haven't talked to other people about things. And all of that perpetuates this. Um, and I, I think I believe that people are redeemable because I want to believe that I am too. I think everyone plays a role in this. Um, but I came to a point, I don't know if it was the pandemic and more time to think um, or everything else that was kind of tangentially happening with, happening with baseball. But I came to a point where I decided you're either a part of the solution or you're a part of the problem. And I wasn't a part of the solution actively. So I, I was a part of the problem. I truly think I needed to recognize that and I needed to believe that. But like I said, I want to hope people are redeemable. And I want to hope that I am, and I am working toward a solution. I am actively doing that. Um, even right now, I, I'm putting together with, with a lawyer, uh, the help of multiple lawyers, actually, um, a policy proposal, just suggesting some, some policies that maybe some teams could, could consider. Um, I am doing my doctorate actively as well. I also thought that would help me. but uh, So I'm still <laughs> finishing that. Um, but my doctorate centers around uh, basically the lack of sufficient structures in place to combat the power imbalance for women in baseball when it comes to reporting sexual harassment. It, it is um, an obstacle and it is something I do think that other industries have seen maybe headway made on. I'm not going to say anybody solved it, but my research has delved into military environments, uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics environments, firefighting, police environments, football environments. And I do think that there are ways to improve. And I do think we need to start to make those improvements incrementally. I'm not saying this is going to change everything, but I am saying we can start to change it. And like I said, I want to be a part of the solution. I'm not saying I am the solution. I'm not saying I think I can even find it in my lifetime, but I want to be a part of it. And so I'm hoping law school is the way I'm going to actually be a tiger. I'm going to go to Mizzou. Um, oh, nice. I'm very excited about that. Get to see also some D1 sports while I'm there. All the SEC schools come in. Yeah, so very excited for that opportunity. Actually just paid for my student sports pass today. Um, so I have access to every athletic event, which I'm pumped about. But um, yeah, I do think for me, I hope it also helps me. I am passionate about the game. I do love the game, but I think the industry has worn me down. I, I like to separate the game from the industry, and I hope that this gets me back to loving it again. But also, you know, I, I remain committed to making this a better place for the people who come after me. I, I'm not going to leave this and abandon those people and say, like, you have to go through this because I went through this. That's not at all where I'm at. So 
Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to be part of the solution. I want to be better and I want to help other people do that too. Um, but it, for me, it starts with me. So that's where I'm at. I mean, there's, there's something you mentioned too earlier about, you mentioned paying your way and what have you, and something for, it, it seems like to me, from my perspective as a, as a, as a Cuban American kind of thing where I, my parents basically worked two or three jobs the entire time. And then even trying to get into the industry, reason why I started doing this podcast on my own is because there was no other alternative. Like times I apply and then I saw this kind of level of nepotism, or if you know somebody wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing. And um, just wondering, did you, if you encounter that kind of nepotism where it's just like this, you know, you read, I read, I think it was in the, I forgot where article was, was talking about um, how the Ivy league schools have taken over upper management baseball and then there's just like a lack of diversity not only with women but just in general and it just seems like it's not there's no progress with that yeah i think it's it's not only nepotism but it is kind of the innate ingrained idea in you that you want to see yourself in the person that you're bringing on to your team whether it's a department for a team or like if i look at you what I see in you that I recognize is that passion for this game. And what I think you see in me is the same thing, but I don't think that ultimately people, when they are dealing with multiple people who are passionate about this game, they also want to recognize something else and they aren't ready to understand that that might exist or the guy who looks exactly like you might have absolutely nothing in common with you either. I do think it is really, it's obviously all of it is just a social construction. Um, there is no actual science to believe that because you went to Princeton and he went to Princeton and the other guy went to Princeton, that he's going to be a better person to work for you than the person who went to I mean, I went to the University of Western Ontario. So, I mean, there, there's no science behind that. It is a social construction. These are the beliefs that are ingrained in us, unfortunately. But I also hope that that means they can be unlearned. Um, we can rethink. I mean, Adam Grant wrote a book on it. But, I mean, he's a white guy writing a book on it. So it's hard for me because I'm like, you're a white guy. So you you're writing this book on unlearning and rethinking. And anyone who's not a white man has literally had to do that unlearning and rethinking in their life already because people who look like you have forced us to do that. So it was a little ironic. Uh, another one of like a, a white man friend of mine sent the book to me. So I was like, it's a great book. It has a lot of great insights, but I think that what you're missing is that people who don't look like you literally have to do this all of the time in their life. And they've experienced this a lot. Um, so, I mean, I think a huge piece of this is perspective taking. We don't do a lot of that. We don't, we often do not take the perspectives of others and just try to understand, you know, where they're coming from, what they've done, why they want to be a part of this, what they bring to the table and how differences actually make these tables better. And research shows they offer financial benefits. Diversification offers financial benefits to organizations. I really want like major league concept, teams. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, understand yeah. that you can benefit financially from diversifying. Yeah. So I think, it, but it is the, the unlearning, the rethinking, um, 
maybe going, you have to go beyond what you believe and you have to, you have to learn. Like you do have to not just unlearn, but you have to learn. You have to be willing to even look at that research. Like I'm looking at that research because it makes my point. They're not looking at that research because not looking at it makes their point. So mm-hmm. it's, I, I think it, it goes beyond, there is the nepotism there. Of course there is, but I think it, it goes beyond that too. And I think it's just so deep. The organizational culture is just so deep and that's such a hard thing to change. Um, but like I said, I think that's something also that's just going to take those incremental changes. We can't, we need these, the guys who are the, the, you know, the GMs, the presidents who are committed to it now, who have, hired their DEI leaders or formed their DEI committees for their teams. We need them to maintain the momentum when it's not at the forefront as well. We need we need them to understand that this is literally a lifetime fix. This is not something you're gonna fix in your five year plan. And you also need to take accountability as leadership. And that accountability accountability is not just hiring a DEI leader. So uh, which is important. Do that too. But like, you have to understand that that momentum needs to be maintained. You got to keep that energy, even if you don't see it pay dividends in one year or two years. Like, this is an ongoing effort, and it needs to be considered to be that. And I just, I need, I need people to keep that energy. I know they've had it for a year, but it's like, you gotta, you gotta have it for your lifetime. <laughs> That's gonna be really interesting. I hope that. Uh, you know the, the work you're doing with the lawyers and uh, your doctoral dissertation. I hope you publish that at some point because um, I think that would be very meaningful for someone who's working in the industry like you to put that out there. Uh, you know, on a higher ed level. Um, for instance, my wife did her dissertation on women in science, uh, techni- technology, engineering, and uh, mathematics (STEM), uh, and it's amazing the things that you mentioned. It was almost like I was skimming through her dissertation again. Uh, very similar things. And, um, you know, she's been getting a lot of uh, uh, pressure to publish her findings as well. And I think that's, hopefully that's something that you'll do. I think that'd be great. And, you know, once you get your your law degree, I hope that passion for baseball is still there for you, that you take that and get back into the game. That'd be cool. Me too. It will be published that at least my, my dissertation will be. Um, I don't know about the other proposal that I've made to teams, but it is funny too, as you mentioned, like I, I was talking to a, a, a naval culture officer last week and he was saying like, I don't, cause I was just trying to get advice. I'm trying to learn from all the people that I can um, and the people who are doing better things than what I've seen happening. So mm-hmm. I uh, had a lot of questions for him and he was like, you know, but I just got to tell you, I don't really like, I don't follow baseball. I don't really know baseball. And I said, listen, it's a male dominated, highly hierarchical, historically forgiving of bad behavior organization. You do know baseball, trust me. So he was like, oh, I do. You're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I want to say that like, you know, I, I find uh, what you're doing remarkably impressive uh, because for, uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, your academic pursuits kind of make me feel like you felt talking to Jackson Job. Like, oh, okay. all right, well, go get your doctorate and your master's and go become a lawyer too. Awesome. I went to school for a couple of years and got a journalism degree. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what you're talking about here is 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 generally like the, the homogeneity of, or however you say the word, uh, would you just have a large group of similar people 
you definitely see there's a level of toxicity I think you probably find. Uh, and I, I actually, I was, I was stunned that you had your DMs open because <laughs> yeah, that is a terrible place. Raj is experiencing that just from being on YouTube. Uh, um, but even beyond the toxicity, I think it just creates these gigantic blind spots. Like uh, just a couple of years ago, the Tigers brought in Derek Norris uh, in spring training, and he was coming off a suspension for domestic violence. And the Tigers seemed absolutely blindsided or, or like to floored that anybody would bring it up and be upset about it. They they had no idea. And it was just like there was no one in the rooms that made decisions that thought it was an issue. And I, yeah, it, I don't even, I lack the creativity or the uh, imagination to, to even know how to start addressing a problem like that. It's so deeply ingrained. But but hearing what you're doing gives me a lot of hope. I, I wish that I was a little bit more uh, or less lazy, I would say. Somebody who's more motivated to help with that sort of thing. But I, it, you know, if and when there's a way to do it, I'd love to be involved. Yeah, I mean, you're letting me talk about it. That is a help. Um, like I said, change is going to be incremental. Every little bit is is helpful. Listening, understanding, um, gaining the perspectives of others. I think it's really important. I don't think it can be overlooked. Um, and I, I think to your point as well, the same thing that happened, obviously it happened earlier this year when Sandy Alderson was asked by Yahoo Sports' Hannah Kaiser, when you were looking to hire Jared Porter and you did all those interviews you talked about and all these people who spoke so glowingly about him, did you consult a woman? And his answer was no, of course. So uh, it does create these blind spots, but it is, we need, I think, accountability for those blind spots. I think that is a, a step in the right direction. I don't really want to use colloquial, <laughs> colloquialisms, but I think it is better than nothing. Um, and I think it is an easy thing. I hope other teams saw that and thought, the next time we hire someone, at least can we prepare for that question? Or <laughs> even when teams are having these discussions about these initiatives for young black players or getting into black communities, or I know a lot of people, obviously a lot of teams committed to that last year. I don't know, honestly, that I've seen the the end results of that. I don't know that I've seen the follow-up on all of that. Um, I would love to see more, but I think, there, I did ask one one person in particular, I won't say who or what organization it was, but um, because I suggested there were a couple of players I talked to and I said, they have a lot of ideas. Like these are a resource for you for probably anyone in this the entire league. Like I, I think they would be willing to help and I think they would be willing to talk. And right now at the time was a good time because nothing was going on. And they, the person told me, oh, we had this great meeting. All these people were in on it. We talked about what we could do. We, we decided on these initiatives. We're going to get into, um, you know, historically black colleges, universities we're, for, for interns. We're going to, um, you know, go into these communities for baseball in the inner cities. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I said, oh, great. You had a good meeting. Were there any black people in that meeting? And the answer was no. So I think as even if just questions like that are at least can just, <laughs> it, I mean, you knew it was coming, you knew it was coming. But I think if, if questions can, if, if those organizations can start asking those questions of themselves before they are held accountable to it and have that sense of accountability and maybe have some transparency in the process, I think that's a lot to ask knowing what they're like but 
Uh, I would love to ask for transparency as well in some of these processes. And I would love to see that. Um, so I, I just hope, you know, again, these incremental steps, just if someone's asking those questions, please just start asking those questions. If somebody's not asking those questions, somebody asks those questions, like, what are we doing? This is, I not only do I need you to include those people who are gonna ask those questions, but you gotta ask them somehow, some some way to someone. People just need to be more considerate. Um, and it's just, it's been far too long for people to use any excuse to not do that. Um, I just, there's no, no excuses remain. Again, I just fall back on, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. So be a part of the solution. Sounds right. Well, well, Alexis, I, uh, that's, it's been incredibly enlightening talking to you. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this interview. I have to say, uh, just, uh, all, uh, all around, um, she even wrote uh, the drop. I mean, like the price is right. Yeah. Drop. I played it and she was like, oh, she got, totally got it. So that's awesome. <laughs> I, always, um, I always feel like we play among ourselves, but I never try to, I try to keep it, um, a little, not yeah. older, I guess. So, well. And like I said, I feel bad that it took us this long to, to talk to you. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I we're more than happy to let you, uh, you know, talk or promote or anything you want to do. And, and please keep us updated on your progress in the future. I mean, I think this is really. Uh, it sounds like you're going to do some really important work. Yeah, you got. And you have the Jackson Job article coming out next week. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, let our listeners know yet coming out? Um, yeah, so that's an article that will also be in the next issue of the magazine. So I have a few stories remaining for the magazine. Um, they will be coming out online shortly as well. So um, we and and my I think it probably will be my last piece with Baseball America. Uh, it will be on Emily Fragapani. She was my roommate at Scout School. She is unbelievable. I'm going to mess up her title, but she works for the Dodgers. She is a biomechanical quantitative senior analyst. I hope I got like her, her title is even <laughs> too far above my pay grade to even know it. So um, she's amazing. She's worked for the Dodgers for 10 years. Um, we have been featuring a woman in baseball at the front of each of the magazines since I've been uh, working with Baseball America, but my focus has never been on the fact that they are a woman. I always say, you know, when guys get together, they, they get to talk about baseball. And when, when women get together, we talk about the challenges. And so, I mean, and Emily, I've known, we met in 2016 at scout school and she's been one of my best friends in the industry and in my life ever since then. Um, she's amazing and wonderful. So I'm so privileged to have like my last piece be about her. Um, and it, I mean, it just focuses on the job she does, the future of the industry. Our next magazine is focused on, on the future. Um, that is just generally, so next, you know, next year's draft, the, pro, the, the next prospects, now that guys have been called, called up. So, um, Emily talks about a little bit of, you know, what to expect in the future of baseball after all she's seen in the last 10 years of working in analytics. Um, and also, you know, getting to contribute to a world series championship last year so um i'm super pumped for that obviously i do have a story coming out on jackson job um and i might have another couple stories that i'm just kind of waiting to to feel out um for the magazine but they will be at baseball america soon and our draft hub is still super alive and buzzing with content every day um i did write a bunch about every canadian but also photographer fans yeah i wrote about austin schultz 
Um, I wrote about Jackson Job, writing about Jackson Job again. Um, I wrote about Jacob Robson a bunch at the Olympic qualifier. Oh. Um, so you wrote so about I'm, Stephen Hajar from Michigan. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I loved doing it. Um, I've been privileged to be able to do it. But and I'm privileged to get to, to do this, to cover the amateur game and kind of be a little bit outside the industry, the same stuff that that has um you know kind of forced me out of the industry for for the last little while we get to enjoy it again so i'm excited maybe you guys will have some picks from mizzou next year who knows that would be exciting i could come back so um yeah i just i appreciate you guys having me and i will always direct people to the baseball america website i think it's amazing also if you want to check out the great lake canadians it's, I mean, it's obviously worth it. I think that we, I talked about it enough to make it worth your time. I mean, I live no 20 question. minutes. Yeah, no, I mean, I live 20 minutes away from the border from the, uh, from Windsor. So I definitely would mind taking a trip up there uh, once everything becomes back to normal. Uh, I've always, I, every, every, for a while, my family would go to Kitchener every summer. So I'm familiar with the area, but uh, Alexis, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And again, uh, check out all our great work at baseballamerica.com and subscribe. I'm it's the best. I don't even know how much I pay for a month. It's one of those automated things that I have, you know, said, yeah, about I it. said it and forget it. Yeah, yep. said it and forget it. So, and a lot of my friends have benefited from it, but I, you didn't hear me say that out loud. I just did. <laughs> so, uh, Alexis, thanks again. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to talking again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, guys. Alexis. Thank you. Yeah.